that um, parents, you shouldn't have done it. You shouldn't have gotten them the Oculus, but it's too late now. They have it. Um, despite all that, despite all that, uh, the preacher has a job this morning, and it's to remind us of other things, what time it is. And the time, of course, is Christmas. It's that celebration that comes fresh off of four weeks of Advent. Now, those of you who prayed through the Advent season, you'll remember what that was all about. Advent is the season of waiting and longing. It's the season where we brush away the cobwebs of distraction and and take a ruthless look at the world as it really is. We look darkness full in the face for four weeks. So my wife Callie and I tried to uh, do a technology fast during Advent, and it got a little spotty at the end when you really want to listen to Mariah Carey's Christmas album. Somebody did. It it was me. Um, But Callie, on the first or second day we were doing a technology fast, she was at work and she was having to work online um, in social media. Uh, She was in Charlottesville. And she saw this horrific story about uh, a young woman who was on vacation with her husband, and her husband drowned in a scuba diving accident. And they were young. They had little kids. Um, we have little kids. They're like in the same life stage that we're, that we're in. Horrifying story. And like I said, she was in uh, Charlottesville when she saw this story working, and so she had the commute home that evening for an hour. But because we were doing a technology fast, uh, there's no music to listen to, no podcast, no way to get her mind off of this story. And, and when she came home, um, she was exhausted and uh, said, I just could not get this story out of my head and had no way to get my mind off of it or to distract myself. That is Advent. In Advent, we force ourselves to sit in it. And we take up our stand on the watchtower, just like that minor prophet Habakkuk, And we say, what are you going to do, Lord? How long? When will you come to make it right? And then, out of all of that deafening silence, comes Christmas. And we hear this this morning from Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. The voice of your watchmen. They lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. The watchman doesn't watch for nothing. The fundamental thing that we remember on Christmas morning is that the one true God speaks. Our gospel this morning, the famous first lines of John, in the beginning was the what? The word. That's right. God has spoken into all the longing and the death and evil of the world. He's broken the silence in the birth of his son, the word. That's the good news of Christmas. That's the celebration of today. Now, in some ways, uh, when God speaks, his words are like our words. So when we speak, our words show what's on our minds. They reveal the mind of the speaker. I'm going to eat way too much for lunch today and take a nap. Those words are revealing the scheming that is on my mind today. (laughs) So God's words work like speech, right? His words reveal what couldn't be known otherwise, what's on his mind. And yet in many important ways, when God speaks, his words are radically different from ours. 
Readers, readers of the Bible will know that on the first pages of the Bible, we're introduced to a God who speaks in a very unique way. When this God speaks, he speaks reality into existence. There is no division between a word of God and a thing happening. When he says, let there be light, there is light. There's no separation between God's word and his action, himself. His words aren't just truthful or powerful or loving or gracious. His words are truth, their power, their love. They are inseparable from him. So when we hear that God, now at the climax of the story of salvation, speaks a final word and to the silent void that is the broken world and our broken lives, we can expect a couple of things. That this word is going to reveal the mind of the speaker. This word will reveal the mind of God. And that this word will be all the truth and power and love of God himself. And it will accomplish what he intended for it. So, what will he say? Pretend you don't know. What would you want him to say? What answer, what explanation, whether intellectual or deeply personal, would you want to hear this God say? Or how would you feel about him speaking and him revealing his thoughts about you? Would you expect to feel ashamed? Would you expect to feel frightened of what this God might say about you? Whatever we may think or expect for this God to say to us, to our friends, to our family, to our neighbors, our world, what he speaks into the silence is himself. The word becomes flesh. John 1.14, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood, and we've gazed at his glory. God's word to us this morning is his son in the flesh, and he is a glorious word. John 1 tells us that he is a word of light dispelling our darkness. He is a word of grace that heals the wound of sin. He's a word of truth that clears away the fog of confusion. This is the good news of Christmas morning. John 1.16, from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. The law came through Moses, a grace to be sure. It pointed the way. But if you remember the story, it, the law is just like Moses himself. Couldn't bring the people to the promised land. There needed to be something more. Joshua had to do that. And Jesus, it's no mistake. In Hebrew, his name is Yeshua, Joshua. Jesus, light and life, grace and truth, came in the flesh to bring us home to God, to bring us to the promised land. And of course, there is great good news in that. And there's also possible tragedy that you read here in John 1 based on how we respond. See, Christmas is not a, uh, it's not a spectator sport. It's an invitation. John 1, verse 11, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. There are those who will believe in his, in his name and receive the miracle of life, like a, like a baby being born. That's why it's called new birth. Because without this gift, we're all dead in the errors of our lives and need new life. But then there are some who will not receive him. 
some who will cut themselves off from the source of life. Verse 18 of John 1 says literally that Jesus is in the Father's bosom and makes him known. Those who do not receive this person will not receive the knowledge he gives, which is the one thing that is most important to know, that is necessary. The knowing of God, the source of all that is. And so, Christmas isn't really all that sentimental or nice, like we wish it was. Whether our lives are tired and busy, or empty and lonely, whether we're shouldering the ordinary burdens of life or sitting in the shipwreck of tragedy, what we want is a word that will lift our spirits and numb the pain. Maybe that's why the Christmas season is so sentimental and is lasting longer and longer. It's already taken over Thanksgiving and it's going to take over Halloween in a few years. Maybe that's why. Who doesn't want some, a little coziness and some comfort? But the word we get, the word from God that we get, is the word that we need. It's Jesus. Bewildering and inconvenient Jesus. Fascinating and shocking Jesus. Jesus, the gentle and lowly of heart and the master of the house. The balm of Gilead and the thorns that we so painfully kick against. The word God speaks into the darkness is Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Listen, and to those who will receive him, he's a shepherd that will guide and protect you. He's a lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He's a shelter in the storm. He's a word behind your ear that's saying, this is the way, walk in it. He's the treasure that we carry around in these little jars of clay. Do you want this word that God has given? It is life, it is light. God so loved the world, he gave his son. So receive him. Let's pray.